another episode of Sembrando Ideales. I'm here with my co-hosts, Ali, Genesis, Guillermo, Dr. Carlos, and our guest for today, Ms. Benita. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I am Rebecca, and this is Sembrando Ideales, and we're going to be talking today, uh, or talking with today with Benita, what she does. Um, so I'm just going to give you the floor and go ahead and let us know a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, my name is Benita Robledo. Uh, I work in ethical fashion primarily in, um, uh, you know, I'm really concerned with uh, clothes that are good for people and for the planet. You know, um, fashion is a, a $1.2 trillion industry. It employs 40 million people worldwide, 80% of which are women. Most of those women are women of color. So what I really, really love about ethical fashion is that, it, you know, if you can change just a tiny portion of it, if you can really make a difference in how the fashion industry works, you are affecting the lives of millions and millions of people. Um, and, you know, I, I uh, so that's what I do. I advocate for fashion that's good for the planet, but, but I'm especially, you know, um, I'm, I'm particularly interested in garment worker rights and how garment workers are treated. So that's like, that's like very near and dear to my heart. And, so that's kind of, oh, sorry, what? I was gonna say, and, and that's really, really where there's sort of some synchronicity with us because, um, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, I tell people the story of why I started the Foundation for Economic Democracy. And a lot of it has to do with my parents and my mom. And so the reason, you know, Benita and I became friends, uh, well, you know, because of Bernie stuff, but then also we sort of kept in touch because I teach class on wealth and poverty. But, um, you know, she's talking about my mom. You know, my mom worked in the in the garment worker industry for, you know, for, for most of her life. I think she started working when she was 16. And, and sort of, uh, you know, I saw the work that she had to bring home with her. I saw, you know, what it did to her physically. Like, you know, she has back problems. She was sitting down. Uh, I saw her, you know, consistently get cheated out of her wages. I saw ICE, or back then it was INS, re repeatedly do uh, like raids on her on her workplaces. And I saw her workplaces leave. Like I saw them like because of NAFTA, like close down shop here in the LA area and move over to Mexico. And I, so she... You know, I remember the sort of just how exploitable, vulnerable, and disposable that industry treats uh, workers of color, and so especially women. And so, um, so I'm really always happy to have you talk about this stuff because for me, this is uh, this is coming. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it. Oh man, it just it like it just makes my blood boil. You know, because these are people like uh, people think it, it's kind of you know like you said garment workers are treated as this very disposable unimportant sect of people but like do you know how hard it is to sew a straight seam like do you know the skill involved I just tried to put in like a zipper into a pillow that shit is like so janky i literally you know, know because my mom tried to teach me <laughs> and uh and and i almost i almost like sliced my finger on the needle because yeah. 
because it like you got to push the button you got to push the footstool and then it just runs like really fast i know and i mean that's like uh, you know even if you're just trying on like a little home machine but then you get to these uh you know you get to these industrial machines that shit is dangerous you know and you have people working with highly technical fabrics and you know all these little parts and pieces and it's it is extremely it it is skilled work right like it is not something that anybody can pick up and do and i'm sorry even if somebody even if anybody could just pick up and do it whatever they would still deserve a living wage but on top of that like (laughs) this is hard work and it it would trip me out because my mom bought she bought two machines like after her so one of the things that happened when the some of the factories like closed down and moved uh my mom was able to invest in in buying some of the industrial machines so she has two of them she has an overlock machine and then she has a regular just like sewer and and i would trip out like because you know like you know growing up in in a latino community like you know like in there's a lot of paternalism towards, you know, uh, like undocumented workers, immigrants. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, I never really thought, you know, my, my people would tell me, you know, my mom, she didn't, uh, she didn't graduate from high school. She went to, she had a third grade education. And so growing up, you know, like you hear how people treat them and some of you internalize that. And I remember, you know, like thinking my mom, you know, like wasn't smart just because that's how society like acts towards immigrants. And right. I feel really ashamed about that. But then until I saw my mom actually fix a sewing machine. Like, my mom's a fucking engineer dude like, <laughs> yeah like, this is crazy like and she and, and like to this day like my friends who their moms have machines they're like they'll call my mom be like hey can i fix this and she'll be like doo, 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 doo. oh that's how you do this and and then i'm like mom you never told me you knew this stuff i was like well i had to because you know i had to sew yeah well and and that's the interesting thing about fashion in general right like it's really considered uh, unimportant but fashion when you when you are making clothes you are doing math right that is like high level math that you're having to do to make sure that you know you're getting the curves and it's going to wrap around the body i, I, I mean geometry dude is, i remember yeah I remember, you're doing geometry I remember she uh, so she was a uh, so like you know eventually you know at first she started out just making the stuff right uh but eventually she turned into uh she was the sample maker so so she the sample maker they give her like this you know the the paper version of like all the measurements she's got to turn in like all the geometry into an actual dress and or shirt or whatever and she's got to work with the models to make sure that they fit and sometimes the like the samples they give her actually don't fit and so she had to figure that stuff out and like you said it's it's all it's all math And so once I learned more about it, and this is another thing that I think is really important to talk about is that like, you know, when people talk about fashion, you're, they're assuming like, you know, New York runaway shit. Right. But like, like, and this is one of the things that that, that our society is really good at in terms of uh, like, you know, Marx has this thing where he talks about commodity fetishism, where you don't, Mm. you don't see where the stuff comes from. And so, you know, when we think of fashion, you're thinking Paris, New York, you're thinking Prada, like, you know, all that stuff. Right. But like the people who actually make that stuff like get completely erased from the the story of fashion and so when you even bring up the, the word fashion i was having a conversation the other day with somebody and uh and i told them to follow a page or something and they're like oh fashion you know it's clothes whatever who cares about that stuff i care about that shit because that fed me like the fashion industry like my mom making the wages uh you know and as terrible as it was like that's how she made a living and well, I would- what cracks me up too is like you have people who are like oh, fashion whatever I'm like oh are you a nudist 
Like, well, no, well, okay, then you participate in fashion. I don't care if you wear a, a white t-shirt and jeans every single day, you are still participating in fashion. And what's really interesting, you know, you bring up Prada and these kind of high-end, uh, you know, uh, French and Italian designers, they're actually, for a, a huge portion of their workforce in Italy are actually Chinese immigrants. So like, you know, we have this idea, I think we have this, uh, it, I, I can't even think of the word, you know, we have this sort of um, fetish, fetish, I can't say the word, sorry, I have, I had a real mom day today. Cool. <laughs> you're also, also, you're on the East Coast, so like, I, it's later for you over there. <laughs> My baby's been so grumpy all day. Anyway, um, you know, we, we think of our clothes that, you know, come from these high-end designers, like they're being made, you know, by couture and these like, oh, these as lofty if, as Europeans. If, as if they were like hand-stitched by like some Italian leather maker, right? Like, exactly. like, like a Ferrari or something like that, right? Right, no. and it's like, you know, they're facing a huge problem in Italy right now because again, they're using uh, a large part of their workforce are Chinese immigrants. And so, and there's also like a huge backlash of xenophobia in Italy and um, anti-Asian rhetoric and all stuff. So it's, you know, people, people think the more you pay for something that you're actually getting a different quality so they I, I think people also differentiate garment workers in that sense like oh you're making clothes for Kmart or, or versus you're making clothes for Versace and sure there are some components that may be different right there might be certain lines or certain things that are handmade but for the most part it's all the same people making all the same things and that's why I think it's really important we tackle the garment industry as a whole, right? Because it's really how we think of garment workers, how we think of the people that make our clothes. I remember my mom bringing home the like tags that go on clothes and she's like, here, you want the fancy one? So, she, so one of the, one of the lines she used to make was OP. Ocean okay. Pacific. And in, in the like nineties, that was like a surfer thing. And then in the late nineties, it turned into like, you know, like bougie, a little bougie. And so she was like, here, I got, still got a bunch of those tags left. If you want to add them to any of your clothes, like uh, that's all we do. <laughs> like we actually make the same shirts and then put different tags on them depending on where they're going. I think a lot of more like wealthy affluent people who can afford these designer brands, just like the like exclusivity of it, like they like it that it's like a thing that only they can buy to show off their wealth to kind of flaunt it. Yes, that is simple and, for sure. Yeah, and, and really it's just, it's better marketing, right? Like, it, because, sure sometimes there's a difference in like the quality of the the material or the quality of the stitching but I'll tell you a lot of times there's really not much of a difference and I think that that was really eye-opening to me when I first started getting into this is when you when you actually learn how to look at clothes and how clothes are made and you know how to look at the stitches and how to turn the garment inside out and test the fabrics once you learn all of that you realize like i have paid a lot of money i haven't paid a lot of money i've seen people pay a lot of money <laughs> for very crappy clothes and you're like oh this actually this actually really isn't better 
or, you know, oh, this bag is by such and such designer. And you look at it and you're like, oh, this is just coated plastic. Like this isn't, this isn't nice. Yeah, it's not even it leather. I always tell people you can get you can get a better a, a, like a much higher quality leather bag in Mexico City, like from an actual person who makes leather leather work. Yep. Uh, and so I like and and pay like get it for fifty bucks, right? And then you're buying you're buying you know three hundred or four hundred dollar purses or shoes or whatever it is, and and it's definitely not about quality. Uh, yeah. But um, maybe you can talk a little bit about how 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 did you get into this? Yeah, I sort of. Uh... I kind of fell into it by accident almost. So back in 2012, this book came out called Overdressed by Elizabeth Klein. And I highly recommend everybody read it. It's probably a little dated by now with some of the statistics, but the overall uh, story and messaging is still accurate. And so I read this and you know, it really went into just the harm that the garment industry does. And uh, I decided I wasn't going to buy any new clothes for a year. And at the time I was an actor and it was very hard to do that. Um, so I think I lasted about nine months, not buying anything new. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll let myself buy some secondhand clothes. And then I sort of slowly kind of trickled my way back into buying fashion. And, and fast fashion, to, to be honest. Um, you know, like I said, I was, I was an actor at the time. I was just starting out. I, I didn't really have a lot of money. And I, I, I knew the cost, but in a very abstract way. And then probably like a couple, maybe like a year after that, I, uh, a friend of mine invited me to a, um, to a craft show where her friend had a new line of jewelry. And we went and I saw this necklace, it was gorgeous, but it was $70. And like, I, I mean, I was still used to buying Forever 21 at that point. So I was like, excuse me, I'm not paying over $10 for a piece of jewelry, that's crazy. And my friend was like, well, no, 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 you, ha you have to hear the story behind this necklace. Turned out it was made by women in Ethiopia who had been kicked out of their village for being HIV positive and had started their own village and kind of created their own co-op. And this jewelry was how they supported themselves and their family and the village. And on top of that, the, 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 the metal beads were actually metal, uh, the metal beads were um, melted down bullet casings. And I was just like, oh, like completely floored. And I was like, oh my God, please take all my money. This is how, like, if I'm going to spend money, this is how I want to spend it. And that was the first time I really realized like what a direct impact I could make with purchases. And that's kind of how, how I got, how I got started. And then, you know, not too long after that, I, I had a digital network reach out to me and want me to create some content for them. And they were a fashion and beauty uh, digital channel. And I was like, I, I don't know, I can't really, I don't, I'm not like a makeup person. I don't really, I, I still didn't think of myself as a fashion person. I thought of myself as someone who cared about human rights. When they said that, I was like, oh, well, I guess this counts. I was like, I could talk about ethical fashion. And that's how I started talking about it publicly. 
and you know since then over the last I guess about five five years um you know my thoughts and feelings on that have 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 really evolved and kind of changed right like I think I started out where a lot of people start out which is oh we can you know we just buy better and we'll buy our way out of this problem and now I've kind of reached the point where I'm like that doesn't work we've tried that for 15 years um you're still buying into the system and now I'm I'm much more interested in uh using that energy to fight for systemic change while doing the least amount of harm possible, right? So mostly buying secondhand. And then when you do buy something firsthand, trying to buy it from an ethical brand. Nobody's perfect, but you know, that's that's sort of where I've landed now. And um it's also really hard to be honest with you so like um i'll, I'll tell you sort of uh, you know we're we're going to be producing some like social justice like merchandise t-shirts and stuff like that mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and uh it took us like two months to find uh, a union like shop that not like we have our own screen printing we do a screen printing in-house but the t-shirts that we get like mm. it took me a while to find a union shop that actually produces them like that's heartbreaking. Unions are the best thing in the world. I love unions so much. And it makes me so, oh, so and we, we, we found one. So like we, we now source our like our blank t-shirts and colors from from this uh, union shop. And then we produce them in house. But like it, it, it's not easy. Like for, for people that want to, there's not there's not a lot out there. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen that happen. There's uh, there's another um, there's another new initiative that I am on the like advisory that I'm on an advisory committee for. And their main goal is really to consolidate all of that information so that brands can brands who want to do better can easily find those shops. Right. So everybody's not having to reinvent the wheel, but sharing those resources. So, you know, I, I, I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I th and I think if people knew, like, they, you know, I, and, and, you know, like, people are like, well, you know, then, then I have to mark up my prices, because, you know, like, it's, it's more expensive. So we pay more. I mean, you know, it's, it's cheaper for us to buy Hanes t-shirts, right? Uh, the big team. Right. Uh, but, like, you know, I, like, I'm fine with it cutting $2 into it, like my t-shirt profit, like, it's $2 per, you know, whatever. It's not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna up my prices just because of that. Like, well, and I think that's a really important point, right? Like, people do always make that argument, but it's it, it really is just because they're not willing to cut into their margins, and a lot of times that has to do with well, you have investors that you have to answer to, right? So it's it really boils down to just capitalism, right? Like, yeah. we should be okay with not making as big of a profit, like, like really. Especially, especially when you said the industry is like a one point one trillion dollar like industry. Like, I mean, like, okay, so that means you're gonna make you know a ten million dollars instead of like you know like twelve million dollars. You yeah. know, and like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do with all that money for real? No, probably nothing good. No, nothing. There's actually so uh, since you bring this up, there's actually so I, in my wealth and poverty class, I I uh, there's a I found a game online called spend Bill Gates's money. <laughs> and, and you can literally, you know, it has, it has how much money he has, 
or had, I think it's a little bit dated, but like you can still $90 billion, right? You can, uh, it's way more than that now, but like it basically like you can buy, like my students are so floored when they find out that they can buy every single team in the NBA and still have a shit ton of money left over. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, I, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I just blame capitalism for everything, but really it's, it's a huge problem. And it's like, if we just were okay with not making such huge profits, we could fix a lot of things. And like, you know, it's funny. I get into this argument with people all the time where they're like, oh, why you're just going to be starving on the street. I deserve to eat. I should have a house. And I'm like, yeah, you should. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about. That yeah. is not the kind of wealth I am talking about. Yeah, they, like they, there's, there's, they, people don't understand that like the 10 people in this country have like all of that money that they think is going to impoverish them. Like, I'm not right. trying to take the money. I'm not trying to take the money away from you. Right. I'm, not, I'm trying to take it away from the people who are like hoarding, like literally hoarding like half of the world's wealth. Right. Like this is not about you. Yeah. You like, know. What, what, one of the ways that I like to explain to students is, is, is that like, you know, it, I think, I think part of it is math. Like, I think we have a difficult time with the math piece. People don't know the difference between a million and a billion conceptually. They just know that it's like more of month. So like you get mm -hmm. to a million, oh, that's a lot of money. A billion must be just more of a lot of money. <laughs> right. So, so it, the way that I like to put it is in terms of seconds, a million seconds is 11 days. A billion seconds is 31 years. <gasps> that's such a good way to put it. And, and so like when I tell students that it completely blows their mind and they finally get to the point where like, yeah, we need to eat the rich. Like, like yeah, we don't need billionaires, you know, like, like, in, in, especially in the context of like, you know, like people like, uh, you know, Bill Gates or, uh, or um, Jeff Bezos, like, like, like he doesn't want to give his workers, you know, $15 an hour, but like, he just made $30 billion in the last year that like, where's he going to spend that money? He's not going to do, gonna do with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Sorry, and billionaires, you know, I keep, I mean, this is a little off topic, but I keep seeing all these things that like Elon Musk wants to do and Jeff Bezos, that, you know, oh, we're going to build a hotel on Mars. There's this really funny meme. It was like, we're going to build a hotel on Mars. And somebody's like, can we just get healthcare? Like, we literally just want healthcare. <laughs> like, yeah. For, and nobody for the, wants a hotel on Mars. Like, for the hotel on Mars, like that, they're, they're, all the money they're going to spend building that, like, probably one fourth of that would like you know take care of everybody's housing but yeah, yeah. but yeah sorry we went out we went off topic i actually had a question yeah um, you were talking about um how the, the the thing that you're working on or that you're a part of is supposed to help companies kind of get connected with resources to allow them to practice more sustainable like methods of fashion mm -hmm. um what do you think about greenwashing because I know that a lot of companies are like starting to promote that they're like they're, you know, producing a sustainable line. And now they have these like sustainability ambassadors, which are just like random celebrities that have zero qualifications whatsoever. Um, I just like, what is the point of that? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, there is no point in it except to pat themselves on the back. And it infuriates me. Um, you know, one of the things that cracks me up, it doesn't crack me up, it makes me very, very angry, is, you know, you have something like H&M, right? You have a company like H&M who's, oh, they've got an eco line. You cannot, I, you know what, even if they made every single garment in an eco-friendly way, you are producing 
way too much clothing. You cannot be sustainable when you make that many clothes that quickly. Like you just can't. It is completely antithetical to their business models. And if you really dig down and, and, and look at what their sustainability initiatives are, they don't mean shit. They're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. And company after company does this. And, and that's why I think it's so important to have people who can call bullshit on that, right? Who can say, this is nothing. But, you know, at the same time, I think that while I would love every consumer to become educated about this and to be able to spot that, the truth is most people probably aren't going to because they have their lives. It's maybe not important to them, right? They, they're just not going to. And that's why I think it's really, really important that the activists and the advocates who do work in this space work on changing the system so that it's not possible for companies to do the greenwashing where it's much harder for them to do that kind of greenwashing in the first place. Again, working on the system as opposed to expecting individuals to have to put in that labor. Yeah, um, I just wanna say real quick, I feel like the existence of an eco-friendly line is like an admission that all their other stuff is not eco-friendly. <laughs> Yeah, like that's how I've thought of it. Like you're just admitting your other stuff is horrible for the planet. That, remi that reminds me of the McDonald's now made with real white meat, <gasps> like the chicken nugget. I remember when they came out with that. I was like, so what was it made with before? But yeah, that that that's a really good point. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's exactly what they're saying. And, and even then, like it's not like you said, it's not even really like eco friendly because it can't. Oh. It, you know, like all the all the waste that that is uh, that's created that, that's made just to produce like one item of clothing, right? Right, and that's not even taking into account what you're doing to your garment workers, right? Like again, eco friendly. I think people automatically assume that it means it's all rainbows and sunshine, and they kind of con conflate it with ethical, which it's it's not. Those are two very different things, right? Eco friendly is about how we treat the planet and ethical I've, ethical is really much more focused on how we treat the people that make the clothes and then you know you've got all these other terms but that that's generally how i see those terms used but yeah it, it it's like they might have they might as well be like oh and all our other clothes were made by clubbing baby seals <laughs> right yeah, and then, and then just because they put it on a tag doesn't mean that it's actually verified, right? So I remember right. one of the one of the, the shows one of the things I show students is uh, this clip from uh, from the corporation on sweatshops, and it says you know there's this guy who works on I think I forget the name of the organization but it's a sweatshop you know like investigation org, and uh, you know and they they buy all the stuff that they that they that they're investigating, and so one of them was like Kathy Lee Giffords had a line of clothing and it said you know. 10% of the sales, 10% of the profits from the sale of this shirt goes to like, you know, boys or kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the people who were actually making it was like girls, like young girls, like 16, 14 year old girls in El Salvador. And so like, Oy. you know, like you said, it's, it's all marketing. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, and, and, and this is a, you know, a really big problem when, when companies are audited, right? Are they self-audited? 
right? A lot, it's a lot of people don't use independent auditors. So, you know, it gets, it gets really convoluted. And that's why I am such a huge proponent of secondhand or, or one of the reasons that I love it so much is because the average person does not have time to, to, to think about all these things. So when I think of the consumer and how is the consumer going to approach this, that's why I'm like, just buy secondhand when you can, because then you don't have to worry, right? You, you really don't, you don't have to think about those things. You're really just taking something that is already in existence and giving it a longer life. And that is a, a really great thing to do. And those of us who do really care about this stuff and are really invested in this stuff, we'll take on the work of changing the system, but we'll take on, you know, like look to us to like vet things and places because otherwise it's just too much. And, you know, fashion, the, the fashion industry really counts on that, right? They count on their supply chains being really convoluted because then it's harder to check. Mm -hmm. I had a question for you about thrifting since we're kind of talking about it. Yeah. More on how there's such a gentrification going on mm -hmm. with it, specifically with a lot of resellers going back on like Poshmark and Depop and reselling thrift store prices like five times the rate. Yeah. How do you think we can combat the gentrification within our thrift stores with like still going to them, you know, and still using that yeah. as a resource? You know, that's a really good question. And to be honest, I don't know that I have fully come to a conclusion that I feel really great about. I've seen a lot of different answers to this, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. So I'll just tell you kind of what my general thoughts are. I don't know that I have a really great conclusion yet, but you know, I think one, we have to keep in mind that there is a huge oversupply problem, right? So the idea that there aren't going to be enough clothes, I think is a bit of a fallacy. Um, because even still, even with this gentrification that's going on, even with these, um, they're called like tag flippers, people call them tag flippers, right? Where you just like see a good tag and then you, you throw it up on, you know, one of these secondhand sites. Um, even with that, we are still sending tons and tons of clothing uh, overseas, mostly mostly to Africa, to send in there to sell in their secondhand markets, or they end up in landfills. So, one, I don't know that I I totally agree with that assessment. The part that I do find really concerning is that a lot of the a lot of the name brands can be snatched up. I do think that over time, this is going to be a problem that kind of sorts itself out because while we have a proliferation of these secondhand sites, anybody who uses them to sell clothes will tell you that it's actually incredibly difficult to sell clothes. And they are not, it's really not, uh, it's really not a system that works for people who aren't doing it full, full time. And even then it's difficult. So something that I've learned recently is like Poshmark, for example, unless you are relisting an item about a hundred times a day, 
there's such a high volume of clothes on there that it's highly unlikely that your um, that your clothes will ever be seen and you won't really be able to sell. So I know tons of people who have tried and, and failed at that. So I do think that that is going to, I think it's going to work itself out. That's kind of my gut sense of it. Um, in the meantime though, like for example, I love thrift shopping. Um, so a couple of ways that I do it is one, I really like to go to places that I know the money is going directly into the community. Um, something that stays in the community. Also, I, I'm very careful about not buying things that are out of my size. So I'm a straight sized person. Um, one of the areas where there actually isn't as much clothing is for plus size people. And I've seen lately people go in and buy these plus size garments and then like, you know, cut them up and change them and make them work for themselves as a straight size. I, I personally really disagree with that. Um, because I think there's just, there's, they just don't have as many options. So that's what I like to do personally. And I also think that if you're not, if you're not tag flipping and you really are just going for yourself, I think that's such a, you know, it's, it's such a small number of pieces that you're getting that I don't personally think that you're contributing to the problem. I think the greater good that you're doing is keeping clothes out of the landfill or keeping them from being sent overseas and kind of all the implications that come with that. Um, and you know what, and, and if you really want, if you are really worried about that, um, then find, you know, find, find other ways to thrift, right? Like maybe you don't go to your local community aid or your local thrift shop. Maybe you go to like a higher end thrift shop that you know is is run by a person of color or you know is in some other way gives back to the community I think I think that in uh, with a lot of things but especially in the garment industry right like it's it's such a complicated topic that I don't think there's any one perfect way to do it I think it's about I think it's about harm reduction it, it, sounds, um, it, sounds, it sounds to me like it's it's a it's a good problem to have um, yeah. in, in the sense that like it's 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 not one it's it's not massive it's like you know here and there yeah. uh and and to the degree that like you know the system this is why i want to go back to the conversation on the on the and not, not to sort of uh, uh cut away but um like i have sort of a follow-up question mm -hmm. which involves the workers right so like if yeah. the focus is on the workers you know me thinking about my mom like if everyone started thrifting my mom would have been out of a job Mm -hmm. And so this is why I think like we have to really deal with the systemic issue of capitalism and how that is rooted in like, you know, imperialism and the fact that this is the only opportunity that a lot of people in other countries have, especially since outsourcing and globalization is, you know, like they, they purposely create these situations of like between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. right? So how do so what do we do about that? We change the system, man. There's some really good legislation um, that's that people are working on right now, to especially um, in LA. 
like for the garment workers in LA, that, that's that's really exciting. It's called SB1, oh, I forget the number. 140? I think I got an email about that. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but but it's really trying to abolish the the piece rate, so not paying people by the piece, which is a, a completely ridiculous way to pay people and keeps them working in poverty. Um, you know, and and really working on wage theft. But I think that um, you know, to to kind of circle back to your question about you know what do we do about thrifting? You know, no one is going to do that to the point, like we're not gonna be out of new clothes being made, right? Like that's just not gonna happen. So I think that it, it's it's pitting two problems against each other that, that, that don't exist, that aren't, you know, they're not in, they're not in conflict. Those things are not in conflict. And like you said, I think that's, per, the system has purposefully set it up that way, right? Like we keep trying, you know, I, I think the system keeps putting the onus on the consumers and well, what about this? And what about this? And well, you know, and it's like, no, 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 that's bullshit. You just need to pay your workers. You need to make less stuff. Like it's actually very, very simple, right? Like it, it's, it's very simple. One of the things that um, has been horrific to see during COVID is that companies have stopped paying their garment workers for work that they already did. And yet these companies continue to be profitable and, and their and CEOs they, continue to make money. And they applied for PPP loans. And they applied for PPP loans. But oh, sorry, those things that you made me a couple months ago, yeah, I can't pay you for that. You know, it, it's like, no, it's really simple just pay people for the work they did in any other industry, that would not fly. Your plumber comes over, fixes your sink, and then you say, oh, thank you for the work. You know what? I just, I got an email that I'm out of a job, so, or I'm, I, you know, I'm making 30 cents less at my job, so I just, I can't pay you. That shit's not going to fly. But because it's, it is highly vulnerable populations who don't have access to attorneys, who don't have access to, to people that will give them a voice. These corporations walk all over them. And, and, and let's be honest too, because they're women. Like I think that, oh. that I think that factors into it. Like obviously, and I know. Yeah, they're, and I women, know they're brown women. Yeah, and I and I just need to name that because it's it's sort of that paternalism where like you know you don't take them seriously because they're women workers. Like there's an added sort of level there, uh, and you know, in terms of the history of like you know women doing uh, free labor, basically, it's just yeah. like well you know this is equivalent to home, to housework. So you know like yeah. Oh, it makes me so murdery. It is. <laughs> it it is. So <laughs> yeah, and you know I think that it's it's kind of like being in a toxic relationship with someone, right? Where they like try and confuse you with all of this stuff. They're like, oh, but actually it's, and it's like, no, it's not. It's not complicated. It's not, it's, it's really not. Yeah. You might make slightly less money. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, capitalism is gas, gaslighting, man. It's, it's the gaslighting. Ultimate, it's the, most, the ultimate gaslighting. Yeah, which actually, 
to kind of, since we're touching on, on thrifting and capitalism, you know, I, I'm really, really excited that I am part of this steering committee for a new online thrift community that um, is, is going to be co-op based, you know, and I'm, I'm really, really excited about it because our, our goal is really to give back to the community. So one of the one of the really big issues that I've seen happen with um, other online spaces like ThreadUp and uh, Poshmark, Depop, is, uh, Poshmark Depop, right? They have boards that they have to um, that they have to answer to, and so they become a, a money making business, and it does not serve the sellers. Or the buyers. At all. Or the buyers. And, 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 those, and those boards have to answer specifically to, to venture capitalists, right? That invest, exactly. that invested in the, in the app. And, and, you know, I like to call them vulture capitalists because that's what they do. They're, they're just looking for places to like extract profit from. And yeah. I'm really excited about this project too. Do you want to go ahead and name it? Uh, yeah. So it's called Style Crush. That's the, the working title. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny. We actually, you know, we were meeting with uh, some attorneys last week and we were really working on like the structure of the co-op and how it's gonna look and who's gonna answer to what. And the, the topic of investors came up and kind of what's gonna happen with the money and, and all this stuff. And the attorney stopped for a second. He's like, well, I guess I should ask, like, are you guys looking to make a lot of money off of this? And we all sort of looked around and we were like, no. <laughs> We were like, you know, we want to make a decent, you know, we want to make a, a, a fair wage. Like we want to, you know, be compensated for our time. But we were all like, no, no, any extra money. We want to make sure it goes back to the community because like, we don't need that. And I think like, if more people just had the attitude of like, I, 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 want, know, like I, I, I wish I could see the lawyer's face when y'all said that. Like, well, was he, it confusing? No, no. So he actually, um, actually, they, it's two of them. They, they work with a lot of like co-ops. Was it Brett? And, yes. Well, one of them was Brett. Yeah. So I, I recommended him. So like, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about this project because one, uh, it, it's gonna, it's gonna empower the sellers, right? So the sellers get to keep a lot of what they're, like the profit that they're making. There's no like stakeholders, investors who, who are gonna come and take ten to thirty percent, uh, like off the, off the top, right? Uh, and also like that, you know, that buyers can be part of a community. Now that's dope. That like, I think in, in today's context of capitalism and how, how socially isolated uh, people feel like, you know, there's not enough places that I think we can be, be part of a community uh, of like, you know, uh, just, you know, like, oh, like I'm really valued in the space. And, you know, so I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, honestly, like my support, especially cause I'm not like, I'm a fashion guy cause I wear fashion. But I don't think about like, oh, I think this is awesome. And, you know, this goes good with that. Like I put on jeans and t-shirt or whatever, like fits that day. But the the ramifications that this is going to have, if we can, if we can help launch this, uh, help you all get it off the, off the ground is this provides a model for how to cut out like, you know, profiteers out of these industries that in the gig economy specifically mm -hmm. so like i think about the drivers and the who drive for uber and you know uh, postmates i mean and all those other companies right and how like there's these people who absolutely like not part of any creating any type of value outside of the fact that they own the app that like connects 
the people making the food with the people delivering the food and or in the context of like uber it's the you know people driving and the people riding and like and so because they're the middle people they get to like basically take a shit ton of money just because they provide that service and like for me like empowering the like the producer slash like consumer and making sure that they're the ones that are benefiting from this economic relationship that's just fucking awesome so i'm really excited about it sorry yeah. i took I, I started i took up your space sorry no it's fine yeah i mean we're we're really excited about it too and you know like you said brett having like a lot of experience in this space he was just like okay <laughs> he told he was he got it but all of us looked around and we were like no we think if we made a lot of money off of this that that would actually be antithetical to everything we're trying to do like this should be empowering the community right this is empowering the sellers this is empowering the buyers um and you know your your question ali about uh about thrifting really comes into play here so one of the things that's really in, important for us is you know uh, people uh, some people who are like tag flippers right maybe people who, who thrift, who want to go through the, cut this out for a second. Oh, I got to regroup my thoughts for a second. Okay, we'll just, we'll pretend that last 10 seconds didn't happen. I'm a, like, well, let me, like, can I pick up your train of thought right there? Yeah. Like as, as someone who doesn't like going to stores, period, thrifting, no thrifting, like record shopping, sure. But like clothes, like absolutely not. Um, I don't mind paying like a premium and an added value mm -hmm. for someone to do it for me who's gonna like create a style. Like, so like I have a friend for instance, who uh, he's really into vintage forties and fifties in like Pachuco clothing, right? And so he goes out and he does all that. And then, you know, and to some degree you can say, oh, he's gentrifying because he's taking stuff that's really cheap and he's selling them for a little bit more. But I actually think that he's providing people value because they know that when they go to his shop that that he's going to have the styles that they like. He's going to have, you know, stuff. And, and, and you know, he, he, it's not like he, um, <laughs> you need to get Dr. Carlos a style bundle for sure. Uh, like part of it, part of it is I actually do have a style. It's a like four, like it's a, it's a like, like 1950s style, like greaser, like chucks and stuff. But like, you know, lately pandemic, you know, the only style I need is like, you know, whatever, like I can wear around the house. But yeah, so anyway, back to my point. Sorry, I, I, get, I lose my train of thought. Um, I, I think that there's an added value that people have placed here of like the sellers actually going out and actually like sifting through what their customers like expect from them or the kind of uh, the aesthetic that they're like going for in, towards, in terms of sales. And so that's a value that I'm happy to pay for because I don't want to do it. Well, and that's, that's really one of the main things that we want to do with Style Crush or, or, you know, is some people have the time and bring that value right but but they and they should be rewarded for that where i think on a lot of the other platforms you're not you're just selling clothes and there's no um there's no premium paid for the work that you've put in for this style for being able to spot something that's made really really well so it's also creating that community where you can say ah okay uh you know, like your friend, right? Like, let's say he didn't have a store. Well, he could have a really good following on this site because, oh, people, people know and people enjoy him. And I think that, you know, with a lot of these other, with a, with a lot of 
things in this space, it's like, uh, you know, you need the capital to invest in this. Sorry, guys, it's gotten really late for me. Hold on. I'm going to just take that back. So, you know, I think in, in our society, in our, in our capitalist culture, right? If you want to make money, you have to have a bunch of capital to invest in something in the first place. And it's like, that's not the... But the investment, the, this is the thing about investment that people don't get. Like when you say investment, what you're really saying is I want to put money into something so I can exploit people. Yes. And I think that what we're trying to do and what we're interested in is saying, I don't care if you have capital, you have other things that are valuable and you should be allowed to profit off of those other things. Not everything is directly correlated to money, right? You have a sense of style. You have time to go find those good things. You have the ability to put them together well, right? Like those are all things that provide value that have nothing to do with money. And that allows, I, I think, it, it will allow people in more marginalized community to participate and, you know, gather wealth for themselves and for their community in a way that they're not able to right now because, because they don't have that money to start out with. And I don't think that you should need money <laughs> to be able to to live more than hand to mouth, yeah. right? Like you should be able to be comfortable without even, having inherited wealth. And even if you do have a little bit of money to get started and start selling stuff, like, you know, how does it feel that like somebody who like just provided you the space is taking 30% of what yeah. you what you, you know, you went out there, you have the, you know, you have the years of history of like styling yourself and thinking through like creative ways to like, you know, look and, and sort of, you know, like just in terms of style, like, you know, like people don't understand that, like, you know, there's some people that have an eye for what goes with what, what colors, all of that, right? That takes mm -hmm. uh, sort of development. You go out there and then just some, some random fucking investor somewhere, like just took 30% of your money. Yeah. It's, it's a very exploitative space. And again, it's a space mostly populated by women. Yeah. And most of the investors are men. You know, and it, you know, you just see the same thing that was actually, play out that was, over and over again. That was a complaint that like I had students because we're going to do some TikToks on like, on like we're like we're developing a social media sort of campaign around this uh, stuff to, to like when we launched the fundraiser for Style Crush um, that, uh, that and we were talking about that. So they went on the website that they, they went on and looked and they're like, like there's it's a lot of women's stuff. Like where's all the like guy like fashion <laughs> stuff. There was a couple of we'll guys. Get there. We'll get there. I know, I know. I told them that. I said, you know, we'll get there. So that's that's a good critique. Maybe we make some things. Absolutely. People, you know, like yeah, yeah. No, that that's actually um, that's something we we've been thinking about and talking about a lot, right? It's like how do we make sure that the space is as inclusive as possible? And I think, you know, and, and that starts with who's in charge, right? Like our steering committee that we have right now is, is made up of a very diverse group of people. Uh, I should say diverse group of women. We, we, we don't have any men yet, um, but you know, diverse age, size, location, our backgrounds, you know, it, and I think that, is what what really changes the game, right? When you when you have people in the room making decisions, uh, 
that do have a diverse perspective. And I, you know, I think that's why we don't see greater change <laughs> anywhere, but <laughs> definitely not in fashion, right? Because it's mostly uh, rich white old dudes who, you know, they just, they want to do the thing that they do that makes them a lot of money and they don't care about exploiting people. So yeah. Rebecca had uh, some follow-up questions. Yes. Uh, yeah. So um, I think just the main kind of thing that I was wondering or, or wanted to hear your thoughts on is what do you think is the most important step to take to shift some of the burden off of the individual because I know that it's like really like it's a really heavy burden to have to like constantly think about okay well like where is this piece coming from mm -hmm. like are they using sustainable methods or ethical methods are they you know and it obviously to some extent it is um uh part like the individual has to play their part in order for there to be any change like what do you think is an important first step to getting to a place where we can hold these like companies accountable um for their you know sustainability and whatnot yeah. Are you asking what's the first step on a more like on a broad level or what is the first step that you as an individual could take? Because I think those are maybe a little um, different answers. I think as an individual, more like what can each person do to get yeah. to that place? Yeah. Um, I think that the best thing that you can do is lend your voice and support to people that are already doing the work. Right. Um, there are really great organizations out there that that already have things in place and they just need more voices and more manpower right so there's remake is really great um the garment worker center in la is really great those are the the two that immediately pop into my head um but they also will like connect you to to bunches of other ones because they all all work in that space I, honestly as an individual i think you know, we are so much stronger as a collective. So I'd say like, don't worry about individual action, just go on their sites, see, okay, you know, they, they have tons of actions that you can take and say, okay, which one can I do today? And which one can I do tomorrow? And, you know, and just stay engaged with them, right? I think there's no way we can do this. There's no way we can create systemic change if it's not um, if it's not a constant practice, right? It's not something we can just show up once for and leave. Um, and you know what we're able to do and and what what kind of work we're able to take on is really going to it, it changes and fluctuates over time and that's okay, right? So maybe one day it's all you can do is sign a petition and maybe another day it's, uh, you know, I can donate $10 and maybe another day it's, oh, I can call my Senator, right? Um, so it's really, a, I think just staying engaged with people that are already doing that work. Another good resource since a lot of our listeners are sort of college age is uh, like uh, the students against sweatshops, like they have chapters on all kinds of universities and they're trying to get one started up at Cal State Long Beach um, and so that's sort of a good entry point uh, to like uh, to get in, into that and uh, I would I'd like to add a little bit something I, I think a lot, a lot of times people feel so much pressure to like individually create the change mm -hmm. like you said um, and and so like one understand that like that that all we're trying to do is is like be better than the current system right so like and it's going to take a long time to really create create massive change but like acknowledge that there is technically no ethical consumption under capitalism 
And so all we can do within that context is harm, like you said, harm reduction. Like, you know, so like, I know that, you know, when I buy, you know, Converse, I love wearing Chucks. Like, I know that like when they run out on me, like I have a pair that's like a, like a bunch of holes because I've been using them when I'm working on my car, I need to go get a new one, new, new pairs. Like, I know that that there's no like ethical consumption, but like there is a lot of like companies that I specifically won't buy because I know that they use sweatshop labor. And technically I know that I buy, still buy clothes from places that use that, but I don't do it as often. It's a sort of same philosophy I have with, you know, like, you know, people are like, my sister's vegan and she's like, why don't you become vegan? I was like, well, since you became vegan, I started eating less meat just because I can't make the full conversion, but I do understand that we need to reduce the harm. And so you do the best that you can. Yeah, and I think everybody has um, different ways that they they can go about it, right? And there are different ways to reduce harm, right? Like, I mean, I think the vegan example is is great, right? Um, being vegan is great, but it's also problematic in its own way, right? Like you sometimes you're having food that is highly processed or shipped from across the world. So is or, that more or, problematic? Or it, reduces, or it reduces the like access to that same uh, food in like the native the native area. So like quinoa right. was a quinoa, right? Or you know, is that better or worse than the person who eats meat that is uh, raised and butchered locally? You know, it, it it it's really I think you have to find you have to find the least amount of harm in the most places, right? And like, maybe my place of, of doing the most uh, most harm reduction is in fashion and the amount of things that I consume. And maybe for somebody else, it's it's food and the cleaning supplies they use, right? Like there's, there's, there's so many terrible things in the world. You know, the whole system is set up to exploit and kill the planet and, all the brown people on it, <laughs> all the poor people on it, that I think it's really about finding finding ways to reduce that harm and, and doing it as much as you can while trying to stay sane because like you really, you cannot do it by yourself. And no one will listen, even if you tried, no one's gonna listen to you. That's why that's why it's like do the best you can, right? Because sometimes sometimes I get the people who like, or like, oh, like, oh, you bought your Converse and those, those are, and I'm like, yeah, but like, I see your thing, you know, like, I'll, like, and then I start pointing, pointing fingers back. And it's like, look, like, they're like, they're understand there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And all we can do is just be as best uh, ethically as we can uh, until we get to a system that is more ethical. And, and as we build a system that's more ethical, and that's why the cooperative stuff is, is for me for this is, I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach people how to like uh, manage the resources and the services and community, like, you know, uh, like economics that people need so it's community owned controlled and it benefits the community ultimately uh but yeah and, and one last point that i think is is important to make right is i think it's also really easy for people to let themselves off the hook by saying oh well i'm doing the best i can and it's like well well are you right like doing the best you can doesn't necessarily mean staying in your comfort zone yeah. right like those aren't the same thing right? Like maybe it's slightly uncomfortable for me to do this thing that's a little harder, but I can't actually do it. So it's a, I, I think it's also like staying really honest with yourself 
about what can I do? How can I stretch myself just a little bit? How can I stretch myself without breaking, right? So that over time, that amount of good that you can put out into the world increases. So like, for example, when I first started my ethical fashion journey, right? It was maybe one in every five pieces that I got was an ethical piece. Um, but things were still new and that, you know, that's got problems. And now, you know, now I buy most of my stuff, uh, secondhand, but you know what? I can't buy everything secondhand because sometimes I just, I cannot find the thing that I need and the way that I need it. Like I just, I can't. Right. And so I think it's really easy. I live a, I, I would say I live like a pretty eco-friendly lifestyle now. It's not perfect, but I live a pretty equal, eco-friendly lifestyle and have for some time. And I think people, it's very easy, especially because I talk about this so much for people to look at me and be like, oh, well, she must do it perfectly. I must do it perfectly. But like, that's not, that's not true. Right. Like it's just not, I had to recently, you know, buy a pair of shorts from Target. And I was real mad about it, but like, I could not, I, I, I just could not find what I was looking for other than that. Right. Like I, I, big confession guys, I still use paper towels in my house. Not a lot, but I have three cats and they puke and I'm not going to pick that up with a microfiber. Then I then have to, not a microfiber, like a Swedish cloth that I then have to wash because that's just disgusting. So you know, I have my paper towels. And I think that's, that's the thing that we have to keep in mind. Like, how do you keep that balance of I'm human, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm still going to stretch myself, but I'm not going to beat myself up too much. Right. Like you got to find that sweet spot. Yeah. And when you're just progressively trying to get better and it's, yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Genesis, uh, you said you want, you had something you wanted to ask. And then you can kind of wrap up and uh, sort of share some some things that you think we should be working on doing, resources. You've already mentioned a couple of uh, awesome organizations. Uh, the Garment Worker Center is excellent. I recently donated to them because Benita made me my Bernie. Yay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I had one last question since we were on the topic of um, no ethical consumption under capitalism. During quarantine, I think a lot of people, especially like young people on TikTok, became aware of this phrase, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. And they viewed that phrase, not so much in like a harm reduction kind of way, but in a way that was really like, since everything I do is going to be unethical anyway, let me just buy everything. And we saw a lot of super fast fashion companies like Shein and Zaffle become very popular. People doing huge like $300 hauls of super cheap, bad quality, very trendy clothes from Shein and Zaffle. And it's like, well, there's no ethical consumption anyway. Um, So what are your thoughts on these things? Yeah, I mean, like not to shit on anybody, but like that's, that's a very immature way to take that, right? Like that, that to me, feels like a very young perspective. And I don't necessarily even mean young is in like a physical age, but like young in terms of how we think about things, right? Like it's a very unformed, unformed way of thinking and uninformed way as well, right? Um, 
there's no nuance there. There's just no nuance. And so I think we have to, and I think this is actually part of like a, like a larger issue that we, we should work on, I think, as a society, right, is like bringing back nuance. Nuance is very important. Um, and, and really helping people to think critically and in a way that doesn't allow for these kind of like black and white statements because yes, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, but also are you gonna raise your flax and then spin it into fiber and then get dressed, right? Like there's just, I, I I have some comments too. So so like I think yeah. I think that's like if, if I heard somebody say that I would literally just tell them you're a horrible human being. Yeah. Just, just be, like and so like you I know you're dancing around it. Like I'm just gonna go and say I'm like you know okay what, fuck you like like if you say that to me because what you're saying in the in that context like oh I don't care since there is no ethical consumption I'm I'm not gonna give a shit that what you're saying is you don't give shit about my mom. You don't it's a very self centered point of view. Yeah. Is what it is. Like, right it's it's it, you know it's it, it's a straw man argument it's a self-centered point of view it's just there's there's just what are we five like come on come on it's a very like defeatist kind of attitude like might as well not try I yeah. guess yeah. right it's it's when like these TikToks like willingly know that some of these companies use like child labor and then they make fun of it. They're like, oh, like look how badly like this child made my piece of clothing. And I'm like, so you're fully aware of like the atrocities that happen within this industry and yet you're just gonna make like a joke from your very privileged like standpoint. Yeah. It's yeah. just like sickening. Well, and I think I think we've done so much to like keep the other separate right to say oh well those are the people over there so we don't have to have empathy for them right like our our society and our culture has fostered that point of view for so long because it is the only way that people can live with themselves doing the horrible horrible things colonialism and imperialism has done right is just making sure that no one else is human but those of us right here and like yeah you're just a shitty person like let's foster some empathy man like come on and for me for me that's the, the when I make that statement the reason I make it is is okay so if there's no ethical consumption or capitalism that means we have to create something different that means we have to create a, like a, a like a system that empowers the people making our clothes right that 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 can't be capitalism so like it's it's like okay you're gonna be lazy ass and not even try and you're gonna be a terrible human being, or are you gonna humanize people that actually contribute to your life? You know, they provide you the clothes that you like literally are wearing on your back. And so, like I was saying, like for me, when people say that, I was like, like I will, I will, I will start talking shit in public. I don't care. <laughs> that's, that's my mom, you're saying that you don't give a shit about. Yeah. And that's that's such an American mentality to have to not care about just because it's not happening here. We shouldn't we shouldn't care about it. And it's like such or, a little issue. It's not happening to me, right? Like, oh, yeah. it's I'm not affected by it yeah and it's a worldwide issue like that's that's like it's like so bad in asia so bad in other countries and just because it's abroad people don't people have no sensibility yeah 
like for me it's like like and the reason so when you said young like it's you know it's a, it's an it's an ungrown mentality exactly like, yeah exactly it's not about i don't mean young as an age right yeah. like you you can be young mentally and you can be dumb at 70 you or, know uh, like it's not about age we've seen the trump supporters our, our, our former president was very very young <laughs> but yeah I mean that, and that—that that to me just sort of shows a lack of imagination, honestly. Like you know, when I think about that statement, when people say that, like that means just because it, things like suck right now, don't you want it to get better? Don't you want to be someone who contributes to making the world a better place and improving the conditions for the people that like provide us the all of the different things that we use and need on a daily basis? Like you're you're an immature, like in, uh, selfish, uh, like a hole if you can yeah it's very like ayn rand very libertarian kind of each man for himself which i it just i mean that's bullshit right like we evolved as creatures within a community right like that is literally how we evolved <laughs> To, to be in community we don't do well outside of community so trying to pretend that we can is is just complete fallacy like you are just literally not looking at reality if you think you can do things on your own like oh did you pave the roads did you install the sewage system the electrical wire like you know like do you take out your own garbage and take it to the dumpster like i mean just on and on right like it's just yeah that's a commodity fetishism right like you're gonna cut down your, reality at all you're gonna cut down your own tree you're gonna you know you're gonna go get the water you're gonna go get the water from the river yourself you know like all of it yeah for sure i hate everything <laughs> that's what we do this is that's what our podcast is basically us talking shit about all the things that we hate i hate everything all right well I think that was a very informative and successful podcast for today. Um, so we are going to be linking on our Instagram page some resources um, that you guys can look into um, in regards to sustainability. Um, so Benita, if there's anything you want to plug now um, for in regards to like people you can follow, any organizations that are you know working, because I know you said that that's like the most uh, important thing that you can do. Um, and we also want to be able to provide resources for our listeners to be able to participate in the fight for sustainability and or, or any any campaigns that you want to sort of plug. You mentioned the one in LA. I think it was SB thirteen ninety nine. I, I think that, that sounds was. right. I'm sorry, I I don't have it on me, and I can't. No. I'm terrible. No worries. We just want to make sure we get the information out there. Thank you. Yes, that one is super important. Uh, Remake is a great, great organization to follow, especially if you're just starting out because they just have tons and tons of campaigns, tons and tons of ways to get involved. I love the Garment Workers Center in LA. Those are great. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is actually changing from fashion a bit right now to more things about uh parenthood just because as I have become a mom I have realized I mean man there it's there is very hard to be sustainable as a parent um if you don't have a ton of money and the like if I thought that the ethical fashion space was 
rich and white, the mom space, we got nothing on that. It is all, all, all white, all rich. It's yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. So especially if you're a new parent or just parent at all, you can follow me because apparently that's the thing that I talk about now. Yeah. So we're actually going to link um, the resources that Benita mentioned, as well as um, any other resources that we have in regards to sustainability and steps you can take. Um, so we will be linking that uh, in our Instagram um, sometime in the future. So we really hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Sembrando Ideales. Um, thank you so much again, Benita, for joining us and sharing yes, so, your story. We're so ingre- incredibly grateful. Sorry, oh. Rebecca. I just, want, I just want to reiterate, like, one, I know that you're busy because you're momming. Uh, two, like, you're on the East Coast. And, like, it just, so it's, it just always means a lot to us when you are able to share your time with us and uh to especially to, to uh, get education out about these really important issues thank you no i so appreciate this this is always i, I just love talking shit on the system so it's great so a place to do it thank you for having me <laughs> thank you so much for all the information you share with us and all your insight it really means a lot to us Yay. knowledge thank you Thank you. See you guys next time, next episode on Sembrando Ideales.